was walking down the street one day and I was uh, in a very, very dark place. And I walked up and I was thinking about terrible things about, you know, how could this happen to me? Like, I don't even want to live anymore. And I walk up to a, a crosswalk and I, I go to push the button. And as I do, I, I look to my left and there's a boy in a wheelchair and he's like a teenager. He's like 15, 16 years old and he has no legs. And this boy looks back at me and he smiles. And then that was, uh, that was the moment that legitimately changed everything. Like that's the catalyst for me. And at that moment, I remember saying to myself, what is wrong with me? Like, here's a boy in a wheelchair with no legs and he's smiling and I'm standing on my own two legs, thinking some dark, dark things. And that's, that's when it's, that's when I made that choice. I was like, how I'm viewing things is drastically wrong. Like there's a, there's a big problem with how I'm looking at things in front of me. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of Mindset Rx and your host. And I believe you have to be utterly aware of your narrative in case you're telling yourself a story which is either limiting you or even harming you. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I responded. You see the world through the lens of the story you believe. What you consider your truth distorts the information you take in to fit with your narrative. Believe the world is flat and you'll only see, hear and feel things which confirm that opinion. You'll dismiss the very real evidence in order to prevent your inner world certainty from being disrupted. Experts become shills, friends become distant, and you become ever more convinced of your opinion despite the world telling you otherwise. Of course, the world being flat is an extreme example. But for how long did the world believe that women shouldn't lift weights, smoking had no impact on your health, and that race denoted worth? Beliefs have very real world consequences. Societally, and personally? Do you believe that you're always going to be the victim? Do you believe that the world has missed your genius and in fact owes you something? Do you believe you'll never succeed, you're worthless, you don't deserve love, or you're inherently weak? And more importantly, are you blind to the bountiful truth which proves otherwise, just because some inner part of you seeks the certainty of your confirmation bias? Your beliefs aren't shaping your world in a metaphysical or hypothetical way. They're shaping your world through filtering out aspects of reality, distorting your thoughts, crafting your emotions, choosing your behaviours, and ultimately dictating your success. You are the only person who has the power to see through your own internal bullshit and realise your potential. And that begins with making conscious decisions about how you're going to interpret the world. In this interview with the mindset coach of some of the best CrossFit athletes around, Brett Paperni, we are going to explore the way that you can consciously choose your interpretation of reality 
and therefore set yourself free from your limits. Before we get into the show, if you're a coach, listen out to our very specialized series for coaches coming up where we're going to address the biggest mindset issues that coaches face and how to get beyond them. And then next week, we are going to be discussing with Nessa Carey, um, expert and author, how your environment is changing your physiology and mindset through the phenomenon of epigenetics. So let's get on to the show with the wonderful Brett Paperni. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it, Tom. Um, let's start off with a bit of your um, story because I was watching your TEDx talk before this and really enjoyed it. Really captivating story. Um, decent message behind it, and so I really like kind of got behind it. So, can you tell me a little bit about your background and tell our audience? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks. So, I'll uh, give you the Coles Notes version. Um, so I trained martial arts virtually my entire life, uh, got pretty decent in my young age, had an opportunity to go train overseas. The ultimate goal was to go to the Olympics in 2008 in Beijing. So I was in Asia 2006, uh, training at a high level. And I got, uh, I got like with this weird, like food poisoning symptoms. So I got sick for a while and it just never got any better at all. Uh, progressively got worse to the point where I was kind of scratching my head and you know, you have this weird doubts where it's like, you know, I've just literally got up, moved across the country, you know, committed to to doing this and things are not going as planned, which is normal. But to that level, it was like, great. Now I've got all these doctors and specialists kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Let's do this test. Let's do that test. Uh, to give you guys an idea, like when I say I was training at full time at a high level, all of a sudden that gets taken away from me. Imagine getting food poisoning like two to three times a week. But that's how it initially started and it just got worse. So after like two months of not being able to train and being terribly sick, uh, I came back home and that's when uh, the, the I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say the fun began, but the fun, if you're a doctor running experiment after test, after test, after test, uh, and never being able to figure out what was going on. So essentially uh, in a nutshell, two years later, I get diagnosed with this rare disease called gastroparesis. And it's a delayed emptying of the stomach. So basically, I would everything I would eat would just go sit in my stomach, and it would not uh, the colon would not release a lot of the food into my digestive tract. So uh, again, food poisoning symptoms. Um, yeah, it was terrible. Man, it was a terrible time. I developed alopecia. I lost all my hair. I went from you know, 180 pounds down to 124 at my lowest. Uh, yeah, let's needless to say, when you're training at a high level and you're trying to go to the Olympics and then it gets taken away from you and there's no known cause as to what's happened. And at the time there was still no cure for gastroparesis. You can Especially imagine. when so much of your identity is around like the physical element of what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just so much, man. Um, yeah. So the, the, the psyche took a massive hit. Like I was in a dark place for a long time and hey, we're all human. We all have those thoughts. We all have different thoughts. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. And, and we know when we're in a bad state, sometimes those thoughts that are bad become amplified. Um, so to, to sum things up, uh, I was like that all the way till 2010. I was trying different medication to try to help. And um, again, it was just more like a science experiment. But I got to the point where I'd started to realize that in my mind, I was making this so much worse than it was. Yes, absolutely. I had gastroparesis clear as day. But man, the, the more I thought about it, 
the more anxious I would get, the, the harder it would be. I'd be like, man, this is my dream. And then all of a sudden it would just come crashing down. So I was putting like so much more weight on my shoulders uh, every single day. And the ramifications were, it actually made me feel 10 times worse. So yes, of course I was sick, but I was definitely making it worse. And I see that now. Um, so I, I was walking down the street one day and I was uh, in a very, very dark place. And I walked up and I was thinking about terrible things about, you know, how could this happen to me? Like, I don't even want to live anymore. And I walk up to a, a crosswalk and I, I go to push the button. And as I do, I, I look to my left and there's a boy in a wheelchair and he's like a teenager. He's like 15, 16 years old. And he has no legs. And this boy looks back at me and he smiles. And then that was, uh, that was the moment that legitimately changed everything. Like that's the catalyst for me. And at that moment, I remember saying to myself, what is wrong with me? Like, here's a boy in a wheelchair with no legs and he's smiling and I'm standing on my own two legs, thinking some dark, dark things. And that's, that's when it's, that's when I made that choice. I was like, how I'm viewing things is drastically wrong. Like there's a, there's a big problem with how I'm looking at things in front of me. Mm. Um, so I made a conscious decision that day to, to change the way I viewed things. And it wasn't easy. There was, you know, I still had my moments, but I did start to notice that on a daily basis, things started to change. Um, you know, even the little things, like I remember one day I, I came downstairs and my mom just looked at me and I was like, what's up? And she's like, oh, you just look different today. You know, so like, it's like when, you know, when you start to do something and then somebody compliments you on it, like that yeah, positive reassurance. more of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it started with that. And then I started, you know, learning some more about mindfulness. And then I started practicing meditation and then some, some breath work. Uh, then I tried to, you know, change up like the stuff that I was eating. And I started making this big comeback. Um, and now all of a sudden I had some momentum and I was moving in the right direction. And to sum things up in 2012, after three specialists in the world told me I would never train martial arts again, I was able to compete at a national level uh, for Canada. So, I mean, it was it was such a big moment for me, even though it wasn't the Olympics, it was only nationals. But to me, it was like the Olympics. You know, it was like the biggest win of my life. Uh, so that's where everything kind of changed for me. And I, I learned over those few years that the mind is so much more powerful than we think. And then I started to think about, wait a second, there's got to be a gap. Because when I was training at a high level, we were training physically at a high level. Like, you know, we had some great coaches, great nutritionists, I mean, the strength side of things, great coaches, but there wasn't much in the way of mindset. And I said to myself, man, if, if I can potentially overcome gastroparesis, which yes, I still have, but I've been able to manage it no problems since 2011, that what could this be applied to in real life? Or what could this be applied to from an athletic performance standpoint? And that's, uh, that's it, man. And I uh, started dabbling in coaching pro athletes and uh, that's all I've done since. Sweet. Um, I want to go right back to the beginning. Did you always have an interest in the mental aspect of sport or was it kind of um, not something you're oblivious to, but something you didn't really think about more than the average person? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was oblivious to it, but I would think it was more like, if you want to be the best, you got to do the best work. You got to put in the best, you, like the Very effort output, thing. Yeah. 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 I, I, like my dad is this old school, short, stocky Italian guy. Like, you know, like those guys, the deep voice, he don't mess with. Right. And he's five foot seven, but I'm scared, you know, shitless of the guy. Right. So it's, he's the kind of guy that's like, Hey, if you're going to do it, you do it hundred percent or you don't bother doing it at all. Like that's, 
that's how things work. Uh, so I was very physically like output as in a sense, like you're going to do it, do it. But it wasn't so much about the mentality or the mindset that can create that. It was more like, I got to do this. Like I know I have to. That must be super useful working with CrossFit athletes. Like one of the things that I'm sure you see as well is like the desire, like, can I do more to solve this problem? Like what's, what else can I do? Like, can I push? Can I, how, how much more like than hundred percent can I give on this? And sometimes sure. it's about actually like slowing down and it's about yeah. treating yourself with kindness and compassion, which is like, doesn't come easily to a lot of those. So like having that reference point must be super useful for you. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think about, you think about so many people when we look at athletes, uh, for example, how they approach a barbell. Like sometimes you can even tell right away whether they're going to hit this lift or they're not just by their physical state, which is a reflection of what they're thinking or how they're approaching the bar, right? So even if they're saying, you know, I got to put output, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. Maybe they're putting so much pressure on themselves that's putting themselves in a bad state, which is then losing their output. Yeah. Like how many times do you see, I was in the gym the other day and I saw this girl catch a clean and as she caught it, she just shook her head. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, like, man, okay, right. A, that is preposterous for your neck health, like <laughs> catching oh, 60, totally. 70 kilos and then just shaking your head. Man. But also, yeah, that's that's not going to help you uh, from a mental point of view. So you kind of like had this output-based mentality, very much like, can I work harder? Can I push harder? Um, what kind of coaches did you have? What kind of role models do you have? Yeah, so I mean, it, cool training at a national level, we got some pretty decent exposure. Uh, but my main martial arts master back in the day was, uh, he was actually from Vancouver, who was originated from Hong Kong. Now their Eastern culture is again, very output driven. Um, like to get an idea when I was training full-time in Canada, so we would train, you know, five or six days a week, pretty hard, sometimes two sessions, uh, you know, a light form session in the morning, and then maybe a harder session in the evening. When I went to Asia for the first time, their training was about three times what we were doing here. So the first week that I was there, man, I was getting my butt kicked. Like, like I was, I realized like, whoa, there's a massive gap in just physical output. Um, so there's, there's the actual capacity side of things, which is cool. Then there's the technical side of things, especially with martial arts, where it's a little bit more fine tuned. Um, and then there's the nutrition side of things. So that was kind of the coaching that I always had uh, for martial arts specifically. So I had some decent exposure, some, some cool athlete or cool coaches, but man, again, very few touched on actual mindset. It's interesting. Like it's Taekwondo, right? That you can, you can that's right. Okay. So like I've been involved in Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a while, like off and on now, like, like kind of, I did a lot of it for a couple of years and then less now. And um, like everyone, mm -hmm. he seems to do BJJ. Sure. He got excited by Joe Rogan talking about it then gets distracted. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, and the mentality there seems to be maybe it's maybe it's the physical thing of like i'm not actually striking i'm grappling mm. and it like there's a little bit i felt like it was a little more supple and soft and gentle just the mentality maybe it's the brazilian aspect of it as well coming into it but then there's other martial arts which have this very kind of rigorous strict do the thing in these exact kind of blocked out ways um and it seems like you got that side of things Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the, that again, martial arts specific. Like if you look at something like Wing Chun or Wushu, like these martial arts are so centered from like breathing, like being able to put your body into a specific state to generate a certain amount of power. Th those martial arts, I, I mean, I have the utmost respect for all martial arts, 
it just depending on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Me, the big thing for Taekwondo is I was good at it. And I love the fact that it was in the Olympics. Mm. So that was like, oh, that's, that's what I want. That's it's what I want. Pretty satisfying to kick someone in the head too, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. got some cool aspects <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you had these cool aspects, uh, sorry, you had these kind of pretty cool coaches. You had like a lot of intense people. Who were your role models outside of sport? So what I, I would say actually the biggest role models that I had, definitely my family, uh, of course, my old man. Like to, to give you an idea about my dad, and I reference him quite a bit. Uh, so I'm Italian. Uh, I obviously played soccer growing up, and my dad was clearly my coach. I mean, that's just how it works. And I always played defense. So I'd never scored a goal, and I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old. And I, I get an opportunity, and I can see, like, I get the ball in, the, in my end, and I see, like, a window, okay? And I'm like, I'm going for it. And I literally go end-to-end with this soccer ball. I'm like deking out everybody. I mean, I probably wasn't, but that's the vision I have now, right? So I'm like doing all these crazy moves. And then I score this crazy goal. And it's like the TSN turning point. Like this should be on like the highlights reel. Okay. Again, in my mind, right? But I score my very first goal at like 12 or 13 years old. So you can imagine what it's like, right? I'm super pumped. And I look over at my dad, who's it's my dad, man. You know, I can't wait to see his reaction. And he's pissed. Like, like livid, man. Okay. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is referee sub. And he benches me. Because you weren't doing the technical right defending job. Dude, he, so I, I'm now in like shambles. I'm like an emotional mess. Okay. <laughs> so my dad's like super strict. My mom is like the ultra caring, compassionate. I'm still her baby boy. Like, you know, that kind of, so I always had like the extremes and I don't understand what's going on. We get in the car, it's silence. And he says, you have no idea why I benched you. And I was like, no, I I don't know. And he's like, if you're too busy trying to play somebody else's position, how are you going to play yours? So, okay, I I get it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of mentality that I grew up with. So from a role model of discipline and execution, it's always been my dad. And like always, you know. Mm -hmm. And then there's the caring, loving, compassionate side which, you know, I, I really felt like I grew into when I started practicing meditation. Um, that That's definitely from my mom. And then, you know, along the journey, of course, I've had some some cool executive coaches and still now I still have a coach as well. Yeah. Coaches need coaches too. Always. When you came across the mindfulness meditation world, um, that's often a juxtaposition to Western culture of go, 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 totally. go, go be incredibly uh, productive and like almost that toxic productivity world what kind of yeah how was that juxtaposition actually before we get into things yeah yeah so basically after i came back and fought my way back into nationals in 2012 uh now it was like okay at the time i was 30 so i mean i was already old competing martial arts and so i was like okay now now what do i do right i mean i spent the last 10 years trying to make it to the olympics clearly that's done like it's time to retire from uh, you know high competitive martial arts what am i going to do like i had no idea what i was going to do for work or, or anything and my martial arts master who was here in vancouver he said hey i think it's important for you to take some time for for you uh you know make sure your health's still in check and he's like i want you to come with me and try to I don't think he said it because I would have been like, what are you talking about? Like, he's like, I, I want you to come with me, you know, and we're going to, we're going to do some things or whatever. So I 
go to this place and it's like ultra quiet and like there's people sitting on these cushions. And again, I'd practice mindfulness in my, in my, at my house my, by myself and tried. And I was like, oh, okay, th- this is different, but I'm coming in with an open mind. If I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. So let's go. Right. So then I, I sit down to start doing my things and I'm just like rocking back and forward. The monkey mind, like, just like, what's going on? Like, what's, what am I going to eat for dinner tonight? What am I doing? Right. You know, just the usual. And, uh, he pulls me out like 20 minutes later, my martial arts master. And he's like, Hey, look, like, I'm not going to ask this much of you, but I ask you to commit to this and just give this a, a legitimate shot. And I was like, hmm, okay, sorry, sir. No problem. Let's go. So I go back into this meditation hall and I just let go. I just, I remember just letting go. And I just said, okay, just gonna, I'm just gonna embrace this, man. I went every single day for the next two weeks. It was uh, not that it was easy. It wasn't, it, w- it was tough at first, but then I just said, well, if I'm actually going to get something out of this, I can't have any preconceived expectations on what I'm supposed to be getting. So why don't I just go through the process and just let it be? And man, I fell drastically in love with that entire state of just letting things be. What was that kind of process like? Um, the, the kind of the time domain you're going for, the kind of techniques that you're taught, was it very much like because you get things like Zogchen meditation, which is like, okay, you want to turn inwards and recognize the fundamental kind of nature reality. Sure. And then you've got other forms of meditation, which are very much like, oh, just sit in restless, uh, restful awareness, like that kind of thing. Yeah. So there, there was two, well, there's three big ones that I would practice, um, as I continue to practice martial arts or meditation, sorry. So I, I actually ended up teaching it after about two years. So the, there's a standing meditation where you stand still upright. Um, there was a, like a sitting meditation, like literally sitting on a cushion. And there was also a walking meditation, which I absolutely adored okay two types of walking meditations that i'm aware of one of them is like you're watching the world come towards you and you're seeing your place in that kind of transition and then there's the other one which is like the sensation based which one were you going for yeah so uh, sensation based and yeah. mine was you it's essentially walking in a circle it's called bagua mm-hmm. and it's like you're walking around a tree essentially and the reason why i fell in love with bagua is because it was actually formed it's, it's like a meditation and a martial arts mixed together mm-hmm. so there's a lot of cool videos of Bagua. Um, man, yeah. Like thinking about this, it makes me smile. You're so stoked. <laughs> you're, yeah. I told you, you're bringing me back. You're bringing yeah. me back, man. Yeah. So that, that journey for those two years, so let's call it from 2012 to 2014, 15, um, was incredible, man, like incredible. And a lot of the practice that I do with my athletes today in, still incorporates some form of meditation, visualization, breathing, and so on. Uh, it's such an incredible lesson that for me, it changed my life. Yeah, that mindfulness and the ability to see your thoughts as something separate from you is what I feel is like the kind of the foundation of mindset. Like once you start being able to separate your experience and not get so absorbed by your thoughts and treating them as this kind of indisputable truth, like whether that's through meditation or whether it's through journaling or whether it's through reading philosophy, like once you've got that perspective on your internal state, that is like the start of a superpower. Totally. And that's the starting of my program. So when I work with athletes today, that's literally the first thing that we work on mm-hmm. is increasing your level of self-awareness. It's like, I believe that everybody knows exactly who they are, but that's the, the again, such a bold statement. But at the same time, I feel that we don't know who we are at all. Mm-hmm. 
like a lot of times there's this subconscious or preconceived notion of what the society expects us to be like. So we think we're that person, but in, a lot of times in reality, we're not. And I mean, I was one of those people as well. Like we're all the same in terms of that. Like we're all human, right? Yeah. My friend Casper talks about this idea of, um, it's like the, the, I think he even says like, there's the idea of the the onion, like you're peeling layers of the onion that we hear the whole time. He yeah. said, what are you left with at the end of that? You're left with pieces of onion that you can't eat and smelly fingers. And like, <laughs> then you've got like, but he says, there's got to be like a better example, which is like, there's a light, it's like a bulb. And like, as you go through life, more and more layers are caked on until you kind of forget what's in that internal piece. And you start taking, or the light's hidden, you start taking the outside pieces, your reality, and you start confusing it with who you are. So it's like, oh, I am this type of person. That's my belief that starts to um, become unequivocal. It's like, this is foundationally me. And through that observation, it's like, okay, now I can see. Now I can see that that is not actually me. There's a difference. Totally. Uh, very well said. I love that analogy, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good good yeah. With a bit of humor in there. Um, yeah. We use some like some journaling techniques to do that. How do you start off? You don't have to go into specifics, but like, what's the the broad point you start with? Yeah, journaling is exactly it. I think um, it's incredible. So we think in my TED talk, I reference how we have thirty five thousand subconscious decisions we make every single day: Mm -hmm. getting up, standing, walking, all this kind of stuff, right? And then there's our conscious thoughts, things that we are actually consciously thinking, and then there's our subconscious thoughts, things that are on in the background that just they're on like hybrid mode, right? Mm-hmm. So the very first place I start with athletes is I would ask them, first off, do they do they think they know what they're consciously thinking every single day? And it's just, this is just like a surface level question. And some people say, yeah, yeah of course, I know exactly what I'm thinking. And some people are like, well, I don't, I don't know. I never really thought about it. And it's it's still mind boggling to me that, you know, how we feel in this moment, exactly like our state is a direct reflection of what we're thinking and how we're choosing to view the world in front of us. That to me, in my belief, ultimately affects our physical state our current state, how we feel. So if we're thinking certain things, that's going to drastically impact how we feel good or bad. So always for me that throughout the day, I'll get my athletes or whoever I'm working with to take note of their conscious thoughts. Now, people are like, wow, God, I can't write all that stuff down. That's crazy. I think so much stuff. I'm going to forget it at the end of the night. So I always get them to keep a notepad with them and legitimately write down one conscious thought after another. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't care if they say, like, I got to go to the washroom or I need to make coffee or whatever. Mm-hmm. But definitely the ones that, you know, when you look at CrossFit athletes, it's like, oh, man, well, I wonder what the open workout's going to be. Like, I would write that note down, right? Or... I didn't do well in this workout or this and that and whatever. So the the high level thoughts and I would get them to start there. And 90% of the time after doing that for the first little bit, the majority of people are going to be like, I had no idea I was thinking these things. Yeah. And unfortunately uh, I hate to preface this, but more times than not, we see a lot more negative thoughts than we do positive thoughts. Yeah, there's they it's it's amazing to how many crossfitters that they how often they're thinking, Oh, I should check the leaderboard. I should stalk so and so on Instagram just to check what they're doing. Um, I should um yeah, see what tomorrow's workout is when it doesn't actually matter right now. And it's like oh, this 
when you've really come down to it and when you've really trained yourself and you've seen so many different athletes narratives, like the amount of thoughts that are driven by fear, it's like, man, this is incredible to see. Um, and it's nothing that's broken with athletes to hit, to see it. Like there's, there's nothing that's like, I suppose wrong because there's no choice because of everything that's conditioned to, to be that totally. way. It's, it's kind of, um, it's shocking to you when you first realize it, it's like, Oh, I didn't realize it's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head, man. Give me chills, buddy. Like when I think about this, like for the people that are listening that are competing in CrossFit, just look at the open for the last little bit. Think about how many times you saw somebody on Instagram and said, Oh man, they moved their burpees. They cycled really fast or they moved this really well, or they did this or they did that, or they checked the leaderboard. Oh my God, this person beat me or I beat this person. Like there's it, yeah. it, it, it's mind boggling. Or they've like, got better apps understand. than me, or they they're getting more followers than me. Or it's like, it becomes those kind of metrics too. Totally. And then it, it compounds from there as well. It could be from that. It'd be like, man, wow, they've got better abs than me. So obviously their diet's better than mine. And now I need mm -hmm. to change my diet. It's not good. Right. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're lying in bed. It's 1130 at night and they can't close their eyes. Yeah. They're or we go one level deeper and we think, what does that actually mean? And it's like, oh, maybe I'm not lovable. Maybe I'm not desirable. Maybe I'm not the person I wish I was. Maybe I'm not going to be a third totally. section. Yeah. Maybe I should just quit doing this entirely. I don't think this is for me anymore. Yeah, it's it's terrifying that snowball effect. Like the ramifications of one conscious thought can drastically change everything. Um, and again, I think for the people listening, if you were to stop and think for just a couple seconds, because sometimes it's like, well, I don't think like that. That's not really me. That's because a lot of the times it's actually happening behind the scenes. Like because maybe we were conditioned that way. Like every year the open comes around, I bet you everybody has a set way that they do things because we've conditioned ourselves that way. And that's what becomes terrifying is when we start to have these subconscious thoughts because we're conditioned that that becomes our new regular, mm. you know, and that's to me what can definitely hold back a lot of incredible talent yeah. is the condition that they've created. Yeah. And that point needs to be reinforced again, that it is the normalcy of those thoughts because we're in, it was encapsulated by them for our entire life. That is the kind of the thing that needs to be questioned because totally. it's like, if you're completely, you can get Stockholm syndrome by repeatedly kind of exposing yourself to that person, or you can like, you can, well, look what's happening in Russia at the moment, like the beliefs going on around kind of what is right and wrong. And, and also what I suppose what's happening around the world with various propaganda, various media and like what you consider normal, like that is happening internally too. We're our own propaganda machines and it can either work for you or it can work against you. Totally. Yeah, totally. And I always see that at the end of it all, we have the ultimate control. And that's why I can never stress this enough that how we choose to view what's in front of us is a choice we make. The thoughts that we have in our head are our thoughts. Like Tom, if I say to you, think the color blue and you think the color blue, that maybe I told you to think the color blue, but you are still thinking it yourself. Mm -hmm. Like that's a choice that you are thinking. You are thinking the color blue. It's not my thought anymore. It's yours. So no matter what, you ultimately can control what we choose to think or not. It's your brain. Nobody else's. Yeah. It's just a matter of having the ability to have full control of that. Yeah. You know, that's the... we have... Go on. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say what, you know, when we have full mental control, that's when we can drastically change our physical state, which will then the ramifications are, are the results that we put up in a score or an event or a competition.
Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, chances are you'll enjoy our free ebook, How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. It's free, you just have to stick your email address in and download it. To find it, head to mindsetrx.com slash ebook. That's mindsetrxd.com slash ebook. Now, let's get on with the show. There's that quote, um, something along the lines of, you've got two lives and the second one begins when you realize you've only got one. And I think the same applies when it comes to mindset too. And as much as there's like this distinction, you can, most people live their lives in a way that is kind of unattuned to the subconscious mind and we're not going to hear it and we're not going to condition it. And until you're aware of the thoughts and until you're aware of the emotions and the kind of separation between you and your mental state, you don't have the choice. I believe anyway, you don't have the choice to control it, but, as soon as you have that that truth explained to you and that you truly understanding that you are not your mental state, you are something experiencing it, that then gives you the option to to progress through it and to to change it. And then you have the choice to um to determine what you're thinking and take more control of it. And it's not an instant now I can control every thought. It doesn't work like that, but you can experience them, you can choose whether you believe them and you can um just like decide whether you're going to act on that or just see it as another thought and it's not important. Totally. It's, it's a man. It's spot on. It's exactly why I said, I believe people know exactly who they are and they don't at all. Yeah. It's like that separation between conscious and subconscious. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And if you want proof of the, how much the subconscious mind is in control, just like watch for how many times you surprise yourself. And it's a lot more than you realize. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot in there. Okay. See, so, Martial arts um, went through the medical issue. Um, you had that moment that was a revelation to you when you saw someone else choosing their mental state. That must have been pretty drastic for you. That and again, I though that whole butterfly effect to me, mm-hmm. it it still blows my mind. Like that that drastically changed everything for me. I, I can literally t- trace where I am today back to that very moment. Yes, there's a lot of turning points we have in our lives, for sure. But for me, that was definitely the biggest. That's my catalyst, right? And now I respect that more than ever because I I live that. I embrace that. That my whole business is is built off of that concept. Um that the reality of how we choose to view things drastically changes our life. Like it's a choice we make. And in my TED Talk, I reference at the very end, you're one conscious decision away from an entirely different life. And that time in that moment, I said, I need to turn my adversity into my advantage. If this boy can smile in a wheelchair with no legs, and I'm standing on my own two feet and depressed uh, with thoughts of suicide, there's a serious problem in my head here. Like there's something wrong. You know, to me, the ultimate power again is, is having full conscious control. And that's the way I do my best to live my life. And again, I'm still human, man. I have my moments. You're not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, just ask my ex-girlfriend. She'll tell you all about it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, listen, we always have our moments. And so, uh, man, I remember uh, in 2018, I was at a Tony Robbins seminar and he distinctly said, even himself has his days. He's like, I have my moments. I have my days, just like everybody else. We're all human. The difference though, 
is he has the ability to snap out of it a lot sooner than somebody who is not practicing it. And that resonated with me. It's okay to have moments, but that's why we have to have tools or certain things that we can do to take back conscious control. It's almost like there's like this amplitude of mistake and it starts off like really quiet volume and most people miss that. And then it builds and it builds and like the amplitude builds and like it becomes more obvious. And then like even the outside world, it's going like, Oh, I can recognize that, but you're still oblivious to it because it's kind of normal to you. Um, And then you fall into that mental pattern. And then it's like the point you notice it is when you're like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like how is, yeah. Like, or you're like, I failed this competition that I was going for, or I massively underperformed or I ate crap food or just spent three hours scrolling through Instagram, comparing myself to other people, thinking all things about myself. Like that's the point. But if you kind of trace that back, there's a really small moment. And it was like you saying one thought, one kind of choice or one kind of thing that if you're more aware of, you could have the potential to change that. Totally. Yeah. Very well said. Couldn't agree more. Um, so God, there's so much I want to go into here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) this is, this is dangerous. I'm going to be speaking to my fiance all night about this and it's going to, (laughs) okay, that's good. Um, so we have, um, what would you recommend actually to someone who, because not everyone's going to go through the same experience as you did. Not everyone's going to get Mm -hmm. to such a low. Um, how would you recommend someone kind of if they feel they need that revelation, where would you think? Yeah. Start? Oh man, no, here we go. This now I'm going to be in the same place. Like I just want to talk nonstop. So to so check us out, I have this belief. So if you look at some of the greatest people in the world that have accomplished incredible things, like Tony Robbins, like some of these people that changed lives, right? A lot of these people have one thing in common, which is they face like massive adversity or trauma. Okay. So you think about some of the greatest leaders, Maybe they've overcome something huge, which puts them on the map. And that's what the, you know, their story is based off of that. And I can relate because I had that massive trauma, right? But it doesn't mean we have to have trauma to take control or to do something great. And the beautiful part about this is that the mind does not know the difference between reality, what's in front of us versus what we construct, like what we tell it every single day. I'm not saying go lie to yourself at all. But that is why we have people that are compulsive liars and then they believe it. Even though something didn't happen, they've convinced themselves it did. But that can work from with us to our benefit. It just depends on what we apply it to. So if we haven't had some massive trauma or some huge adversity and we want to make a big change, we got to find our purpose. Okay. And to me, purpose trumps motivation tenfold. Like motivation will always come and go. But purpose is the driving factor that makes us move forward. Okay. So I would say to those listening is what is your true purpose? And if you don't know, it's okay. I would ask them if they don't know what they want in life, I would damn well know that everybody knows what they don't want in life. Mm -hmm. So take a look at what you don't want and reverse engineer it from there. Do the things that are opposite to what would make you what you don't want. Okay. So you either have purpose. If you don't know what you want, take a look at what you don't want and build it from there. What's your purpose? Good question, man. Um, My purpose is the fear of living in regret. So I'll tell you a quick story is I look back now in 2008 when I got, or 2006, when I got sick in Beijing, going to the Olympics in 2008, I realize now that there was so much more I could have done and I didn't. 
it was easy for me to play the victim card and say, look, I'm sick. I, I can't do this. I'm throwing in the towel. Maybe it got too tough. Even the guy who was like, output, 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 do it 100%, I threw in the towel and I gave up. Now, don't get me wrong. I had an illness, but I proved that I was able to overcome this illness. I can't go back, man. Like there, I cannot go back to compete at Brett at 24 years old to go to the Olympics. It's, it's done. That is what pushes me so damn hard every single day. So I have to accept the fact that that's gone, but I refuse to let it happen again. Um, there, just a quick side note. I had this conversation with Emily. So Emily Rolf at the CrossFit games this year, um, she, you know, she got really sick. She got E. coli. And there was a moment when I looked at her and I was like, in my mind, I was like, man, I've never seen her this sick in my life. Like ever. I don't think she can be able to compete at the next event. And if the games, you don't make the event, you're done. And I said to her, if you don't dig deep and change your state right now, you'll, you'll regret this moment for the rest of your life. Because in a week time, when you look back, that E. coli poisoning isn't going to be as bad as you think it is. Sure, it's bad, but you must get out there and go right now because you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And that's the, that's the power of my purpose, man. Like for me, that's what drives me every single day. It's cool, to, it's cool to hear that story from your perspective, because when she was on the show, she told from her perspective and like yep. seeing what that did to her and giving her the kind of, not necessarily the boost, but the uncovering of what was actually important that really drove her so like again shows the power of having a mindset coach like it shows the power of, and having someone who can flip your perspective because in those times you're not always going to be able to do it yourself you're not always going to be able to like yeah sure eventually you can get better at it but like having that team around you someone you can like see with perspective the situation you're in and say hey here's it here's like here's it back at you but also you having that that ability to accept that and the i suppose the perspective that to see like actually they have they know what they're talking about too that's that's a really important tool yeah man i that that was one of the most incredible athletic performances i've ever seen in my life done by emily and uh, i mean i've spent countless hours with her we live in the same city right and i'd never seen her like that so i remember distinctly having this conversation and saying like there's millions of people that would do anything to be in your shoes. Millions. And, you know, you get a bit of a reaction. And as a coach, you know how we are. We, we, we build on that, right? And then I remember hitting her with this, like, I can't go back to the Olympics. But you have a choice right now to get out on that field and go compete. I don't have that choice. I don't have that option. You know, and that's power. That's power. And then I know the last message to her was, I, I just proved that it can be done. I said, I talked to her about. Tim Grover's book, Relentless. And I said, you know, Michael Jordan, he got food poisoning the night before and he was sicker as a dog. Tim Grover says he's never seen him like that before, but yet he goes out there and he has one of the best games of his career. So it can be done. Like she can do it. It's about making a choice. And she did. Yeah, <laughs> and She goes on to win an event. Yeah, that's the bit that Emily talks about as well. That kind of reference and like seeing that someone else has done it. And it's like, it kind of, is I suppose it's almost similar to, but a different version of you seeing that guy in the wheelchair. It's like the kind of, oh, that's what actual suffering is. And like what I have right now isn't as bad as I thought. And I'm choosing to feel this totally. way. Totally. But we do that every single day. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's wild too, is if you look back at like the Roger Bannister story, 
where he remember everybody was saying like, you can't break the four minute mile. And he went and did it. And all of a sudden, two weeks later, a bunch of people started doing it as well. So like, it can be done. Even if things that have not been achieved, they can be achieved, but it's going to go back to their purpose. Again, it's going to go back to, to what is driving you to want to achieve it because it can be achieved. You know, I may not be able to go to the Olympics for martial arts at 24, but damn well, maybe I could do it in somewhere else. Like it doesn't mean I can't, right? It's again, it's a choice. So when you're finding your purpose, you're thinking about like goals and what you want to attain. And then how are you working back from that? Like what's your process look like? So my biggest thing is, is that for me to push forward and not letting a regret, I need to be aware of my current surroundings and what it is that I'm wanting to achieve mm. in this moment. Okay. So it's, it's funny. It's still that lesson from my dad. Like you give it a hundred percent or don't bother giving it at all. I realize now I didn't give it a hundred percent. Right. Maybe, maybe in that moment, Emily couldn't give it a hundred percent physically because of her capacity, but maybe she could give it a hundred percent mentally, which would then allow her physical body in that state to do the best that it possibly could. Okay. So for me, it's like that total check-in of where I'm at today and what is my actual application. So for me, I have a, there's three steps. So I have an area of focus. So this is what I'm currently working on. What are the tactics that make up my area of focus? Okay. So what is the, the three or two or three plans that I need to actually do to make up this area of focus? What are the behaviors that make up those tactics? So what are the measurable things that I need to do every single day? So for example, let's say I need to gain, I want to put on five pounds of muscle. That's my area of focus. Okay. I need to train like this. I need to get a coach. I need to change my nutrition. Those are the tactics. The behaviors are the things that you're doing every single day that are measurable. That is how I maintain my output. That's why I make sure that I'm executing what I need to execute. Because it's very simple for me to sit down on the couch and scroll on Instagram and think, oh man, look how good this dude looks or uh, this person's so much better than me here. It's very easy to do that. And then we get sidetracked. But if there's something that's tangible in a sense of behaviors, then it's measurable. Then you can actually see if you achieve it. It's like somebody saying, oh, I went to the gym today, so I'm good. Maybe they had the, maybe they didn't do nothing in the gym, right? Just because you went to the gym doesn't measure anything. Like what you did in the gym is what needs to be measured. Follow? Yeah, exactly. Have you seen the Piagetian model of development, like how babies develop according to Jean Piaget? Okay. No, I don't. Cool. So it it maps really nicely onto what you're talking about there about having the kind of the, the small behaviors building towards a bigger purpose. So he basically says that a baby learns to um, like lift its hand or whatever. And it's like, Oh, I can lift my hand now. And it's obviously not a conscious thing, but then it's like, I can lift my hand and hit my mobile. And then they hit that. And then it spins around. Then they realize that gets attention. And then it realizes that develops. And and he's talking about how that builds from, Oh, I want to get food to, I want to be a good child to, I want to be like that. And it builds up in layers of development. And one way that I think we can like very similar to you, like looking to find a purpose and like what ultimately means being a good person to us is looking at our behaviors, looking at what we actually enjoy doing, looking at what we want to do and then mapping those up. So what does it mean when I do all of those things? Oh, it means that they build towards I'm a better type of athlete. Okay. A good athlete means a good person. And there's lots of steps in between that, but it's like ultimately our reputation within, within ourselves. And it maps even from like a, developmental psychology point of view to what we're doing now, which is kind of like performance optimization. 
Totally. Wow. I like it. I'm going to have to look into this because I like this. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about it really well. Um, okay. Jean Pichet. I think he does like three or four lectures on him that are like, really cool. Um, okay. Okay. Right. This again, there's so much that I want to dig into. When did you start working with athletes? Uh, so I started about 2015, 2016, and initially started with martial arts athletes. Obviously, that was yeah. my connection, right? So I worked with a lot of national team athletes um, for about a year. It was just more like for beta, like for fun. Like I was like, hey, look, this is what really, really helped me. Because um, I had a few people, like my story kind of went, not viral, but it got picked up quite a bit. So people were asking me, like, how, how did I do this? Like, what happened? So I just started sharing my practices. Um, and then I was like, hey, there's got to be some kind of application here. So it was more like just trial and error. And then I started practicing things on myself. Um, so it just kind of started to compound from there. And then I started getting a, a couple other athletes and then in other sports. And then we talk about that butterfly effect. I bumped into Kyle Rolf, so Emily's husband. And this is a great story. I was wearing a CrossFit t-shirt. And for those of you who don't know, Kyle Rolf's a big guy. Okay. He's a big guy. And he, he, I bump into him and he says, Oh, you do CrossFit? And I'm not like I'm a, in crazy shape or anything, but I'm in lean, whatever. Right. And I'm like, Yeah, like I do CrossFit. Clearly you don't, buddy. Like, yeah, I do CrossFit. <laughs> and then, you know, and he kind of laughed and he's like, Oh, my, my wife just made the games. And I was like, Man, what games, man? Like, like what, what do you, what games? And he's like, The CrossFit games. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, This guy has no idea what he's talking about. Like, no idea. And uh, this is, a, this is like early 2019. And he's like, no, no, no. She, she made the CrossFit games, man. She just won Granite games. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this guy's legit. And I was like, oh dude, who's your wife? And he said, Emily Rolf. And I was like, well, wow. So we start talking and you know, asked, you know, what to do, whatever. And, and that was it. And I met Emily and we started talking and I know right away, I was like, man, this, this girl, she, she's going to laugh. She probably thinks like, this is such BS. And she's like, and she even says it. Yeah. Now. She she's talks like, through that. Yeah. 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 yeah, she's like, this is hocus pocus, man. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, you know, we started working together uh, early 2019 uh, before the games. And uh, yeah, that was it, man. That's it. And she goes she out talks, there and crushes her rookie year. Yeah, she talks about a, um, I, I can't remember how she referred to it, like a little mental game or something you did to begin with. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah, it was such yeah. a, oh, man, this is so cool. It's, it's a game. So just standard questions, but there was a fun thing that I had where it was, it was like, I want you to think about two words that go aligned to each other. So it'd be like sand and beach or socks and shoes. So there was two lines that had 20 words. So 10 sets of pairs that all made the same sense. They said the same thing. So you'd read those. Okay, cool. makes sense. Water, glass, whatever. Right. Then the next section was the same thing. It was very, very similar. So again, same type of number or same type of words, but one of the words was missing a letter and it just had like an underscore. It was like missing a letter. So I got them to read those ones and you have to fill in the blank. So she's like, okay. So she does it. And then I flipped the page upside down and I was like, I want you to like, tell me which ones you remember. And they only remember the ones that they actually had to consciously think about, like legitimately think about the ones that they had to fill in the blanks. And I was like, okay, so you remember this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And then they got flipped the page back over. So they only remember that one. And I said, see the power of your conscious thoughts. Like, this is what you're consciously thinking. Look at the ramifications of it. That's all you remember. So when we highlight things in this conversation, like when you're consciously thinking, oh my God, this person's 
better than me. Maybe I shouldn't do this, or maybe I'm just going to throw in the towel. Maybe I'm not loved. Like that snowball effect. So it was just like a small little thing. And she was like, wow, I never really thought about it like that. And then I asked her about her conscious thoughts. Like, what did, what did she think about throughout the day? And she's like, uh, I don't know. And I was like, okay, tell me some of the things you can remember. And then we start talking about it. And there was a couple highlighted pieces of, that fall into a different category. And it's like, see, this is exactly what we're talking about. And uh, that was it, man. I just built some trust. And but now, now it's what, almost yeah, three years later. And we've seen it all together, man. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's great. It's, it's, you've obviously got a gift in and have worked very hard at rather than a gift, I suppose. Um, but you also have a, a natural uh, proclivity to explaining things like that very well. And it's really cool to see. And it's like giving people that insight, it's, it's awesome. What are the biggest problems that you see cross athletes working through? Uh, I guess it, it depends on, I mean, there's a few for sure. You look at, I would say, okay. So the big, big, big one is still going back to what, what are we consciously feeding ourselves? Mm-hmm. Like, I would say to you that this is probably the biggest and the quickest fix that could have such a huge ramification of change for them. So what are we consciously thinking? Like we talked about second one would be, uh, the whole perfection bug of maybe the open's not going perfect or I'm not executing it perfect because of this state that I'm in. Mm-hmm. So when it comes time to a competition, uh, yeah. So we get some athletes that PR competition and we get some athletes that are completely the opposite. Again, that's totally controlled by our state. There's very, very few athletes that can go to bed the night before a competition and just feel fine. Like it's, it's, it's very rare, right? I mean, we, we might go to bed not sleeping perfectly when we have to have a meeting tomorrow morning, let alone competing at the highest level. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would say that preemptive phase to put ourselves in a good state prior to a competition or during a competition are the, are the two biggest things. Cool. How are you, what do you feel are the most effective ways for athletes to work on this? So two things. So the first thing for the self-awareness, take Mm -hmm. note of your conscious thoughts. Once you have a better idea of what you're consciously thinking, then you can have a much better idea of what that is going to do in terms of affecting you. So for example, let's say I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I scroll through Instagram and I'm like, oh my gosh, this athlete did this open workout so much better than me. And the snowball starts. When you tag how that makes you feel like, okay, great. Now I feel like shit. Now I feel completely demotivated or I don't feel good. Like we created that state. Now we're putting ourselves in a bad position. Okay. When we're in that bad state, people tend to make poor decisions. So I have a quick high level thing, just not to sidetrack too far, but my belief is people think things, which then trigger an emotion. Okay. That emotion, we then take action and make decisions based off how we feel. So we take action off of that. And then it usually gives us a result. Okay. So it's thought, emotion, action, result. Mm-hmm. Again, when we think certain things, when we're in a shit state, we tend to make emotional based decisions. We can all, we've all been there. Mm-hmm. I know when we're in an argument and we say something we shouldn't have said, and it just comes blurts out. And you're like, did I just say that? Like, that's not going to end well, or I'm not going to hit this barbell and I'm putting myself in a shitty emotional state and I go to take action. And I just like high pull a clean and dump the bar. That's thought, emotion, action, result. For me, I want to train my athletes to have a conscious thought, take immediate action. 
Okay. So when you have that conscious thought, you're putting yourself into a good state, which is going to take immediate action, which is going to give you the result that you desire. Then you can embark in the emotion when you hit a PR, then you can hit the emotion. Okay. So it's thought action result, emotion, same four things. These are the four things as humans, just changing up the order for me to do that. If we find ourselves in an emotional state, we need to change our physical state somehow. So if you're sitting on the couch, scrolling on Instagram and you're viewing, or you're looking at the leaderboard and you feel depressed, you feel like shit and you need to jump up off the damn couch, smack yourself in the ear or something to disrupt that emotion, to give yourself the opportunity to take back conscious control. Okay. Even Tony Robbins talked about, about changing your state. All right. I want you to think about, I don't know, maybe you're super sad, super depressed and somebody starts tickling you. Like you're going to change your, your state. It's going to disrupt that emotion. All right. I have a little tiny trampoline that I jump on before I jump on a zoom call with my clients. It's like just little mini trampolines, man. Like for me, I jump on that trampoline. It puts me into a certain state. Okay. So once you're in a certain state that you create, then you can make the choices to what you want to apply it to. So once again, not to go too far, but I would say the majority of the people find themselves in a shit state, excuse my language, and don't realize it until it's too late. The results of them missing a lift or not being able to sleep are a big thing. That always goes back to the level of self-awareness. Because then we have the familiarity of that state. It's comfortable to exist in a way that you're comfortable with it's like it's what you know it's the known and you don't have to risk the step into the unknown and that is the kind of the dangerous thing to do um when we're taught to seek safety we also have like it's it's funny like as you're writing down your model there of um, thoughts and emotions and behaviors and success i was writing that like it prompted me to try and remember ours and the way we kind of work it through and kind of look at the differences and we have kind of a very similar thing, like working from like success on one end back through behaviors and physical sensations, including uh, um, the difference there, which is quite interesting is like, we've got thoughts and emotions on the same, um, same kind of area, like, because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll have a thought first and it will spark an emotion. And sometimes you have an emotion first and it, um, it sparks a thought, but why they happen, I think is, because of the interaction between your beliefs and the narratives you hold and external events. Um, And that's what creates one of them. And I think some people are more susceptible and some people will feel thoughts more readily and, oh, sorry. Yeah. And they can hear their internal language more readily than others who will think, um, sorry, they'll, they'll feel those emotions more readily. And like, I'm personally a thinker, like I, I'll think thoughts and then I'll go, Oh yeah. Emotion that does come along. Like a lot of guys, it's like, Oh yeah, I I do experience emotion too. But then going one level back beyond the beliefs, it's like, what created those beliefs? And it's like, Mm. what influences did you have? You had the environment around you that created a lot of beliefs you had evolutionary needs like kind of your biology and like what you're set up to have so a negativity bias for example you have your education what you're explicitly told by your family so like your your dad for example saying like you got to give 100 percent um which one haven't i gone oh your experience so like what worked for you what didn't work for you in in the past and like but it's, it's all the same kind of things that we're talking about like i don't think there's a huge amount of difference there it's like there's just a different perspective on it Totally. Yeah. I mean, you're spot on everything you're saying. These, these all completely make sense. I think that I agree with you, the thought and the emotion, they're hand in hand. Mm-hmm. What if, if we find ourselves in a state, so for example, let's go back to uh, a 22, two, the deadlift workout. So 
maybe when things start to get really bad and those burpees, everything starts to hurt. If I take a second and I'm like engulfing in this emotional pain, like my posterior chains cooked, my lungs are spiking, everything's screaming at me to stop. I'm now embarking in that emotion. So now all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I'm emotional, which has then taken two seconds off the clock and I'm not consciously told myself to get back to the bar. So when I say, instead of having thought motion, I want thought immediate action. Mm-hmm. I want the second I dump this bar, my chest is on the floor. So the second I put this barbell down, I'm dropping to the floor. That is thought immediate action. So I'm thinking that, and then I'm going to tell myself to do it. So that's the immediate action that allows the conscious mind to shut off the subconscious, to shut off the thought of my lungs are going to explode. My quads or my posterior chain are killing me and not get stuck in that realm. Does that make sense? Do you think it's possible to shut off all subconscious thought? I don't think it's possible entirely. I'm not going to, I shouldn't say that. I don't think it's possible for the vast majority of us. I'm not saying it's not possible. I think the amount of work to do that would be massive. And I don't know many people. Yeah. I don't know many people that, that could physically get to that place. Yeah. I don't think it's even me, man, I've practiced this countless hours. I can tell you I'm nowhere near that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you haven't achieved Satori yet. You haven't found that enlightened (laughs) piece. Um, You haven't completely quiet in your mind. Okay. Like, cause the the reason I'm asking that is because obviously the subconscious mind has evolved for a reason. Like it's there mm-hmm. and it would have been selectively excluded were it not to provide some sort of benefit to us. So Correct. I think we have to have that um, for some tasks, rely on That's it right. and let it kind of run its course. Um, so we kind of like, because for example, put what I've been doing obsessively throughout this is putting this pen lid off and on. If I had to think about the whole time, I wouldn't be able to have a conversation with you because like, sure. I would like some things require conscious effort. Some things don't like, for example, digesting totally. my food is pretty useful at the moment. And like that kind of thing. Like if, <laughs> yeah, if I had to think every time I was going to breathe, I'd been dead a long time ago. Um, totally. So like that kind of subconscious has its point, but when it comes to things that are in kind of, in opposition to what your subconscious predilection is going to give you and what that kind of pattern of behavior is going to give you, then that's the time to use the conscious mind when it's like, okay, I want to achieve something. My subconscious is telling me the opposite. Now I've got to use, exert some conscious willpower, which is going to work to a degree, but by doing that, it's going to reinforce the subconscious narrative that I actually want. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that Yeah. Spot on, man. Yeah. And I think people need to understand that we're wired a certain way from a survival instinct. Mm -hmm. Like naturally this is, you know, we talk about our upbringing of the last 20 years, maybe whatever it may be. That's why we are a certain way. What about the last 2000 years? Mm -hmm. You know, like we are wired this way for a reason. Okay. Sure. The times today are a lot different than they were a thousand years ago and so on. Right. But again, this is what we got. These are the tools that we got. This is the hardware. It's our job to control the software. Yeah, exactly right. And going on on that point again, like it's not just about what you've experienced. It's what your parents experienced, what they experienced, and what they their parents experienced. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And like to this point where you've got a kind of yeah, like you said, the the hardware is 
pretty much ingrained. Like you're going to make very few differences to that, but you can choose a few options that are going to set you up completely differently. And that is the choice there. Like that's the the power that you have. The conscious mind is like, okay, I can choose this. That's it, man. That's what, that's my whole jam, man. You're one conscious decision away from an entirely different life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, Oh, again, so new places. What kind of, um, you know, how do you use visualization with athletes? Uh, a lot of times it's prior to going somewhere. So for example, like, uh, I don't know, so let's say a new athlete's going to, they're going to Wadapalooza for the first time. So beforehand, sometimes I'll get them to visualize, you know, the, the date, like tomorrow morning, like getting up, doing the routine, getting to the airport, flying to Miami, arriving at Wadapalooza. They know what it looks like. They've seen pictures of Wadapalooza. So I want to picture them walking around, you know, if there's some, an event, get them walking through the events. Um, and if it's a specific event, sometimes I'll get them to walk through an event. So I'll get them to breathe, put them into a certain state, focus on visualization. And then I want them to go out there, hear the crowd, hear three, two, one, hear the buzzer go, run up to the bar, grip the bar. I want them to feel these things in their mind. So when they go out and physically do it, it's familiar. I mean, we think about... Oh, I don't know. Let's say somebody's got to go do something that they've never done before. And the, the they're a little nervous because they don't, it's like the unexpected. They don't know what, what it's going to be like. They don't know what the people are going to be like. They don't know what the environment's going to be like. They don't know what, what at all, what to expect. So when there's some sort of connection, just a surface level of visualization, when you actually go there and do it, something feels oddly familiar, yeah. you know? And a lot of times that can be the difference maker of putting some nerve CEs. Yeah. Like a, if we're thinking about whether we're in the known or the unknown, a, like we'll mm -hmm. hold back and we'll won't give our rule if it feels dangerous and that's the unknown. But if there's a part of you that feels like you've been there before, even if it's a small part of you, like a really mm -hmm. tiny part, that is often enough to create the familiarity of like, Oh, I'm in the known. I'm safe. I'm structured. I'm in order. And therefore yep. I can, become a bit more vulnerable and from like a very primal point of view i can get to a point where i'm lying on the floor and very exposed um and someone like someone could do me harm but if i'm feeling safe if i'm feeling certain if i'm not looking around judging myself like judging myself and other people and feeling mm -hmm. like i'm an outsider then again that that can create some sort of change for us totally i think the big thing is that people understand especially in crossfit <laughs> this is a game of milliseconds, man, like hundreds of a seconds, a thousand of a seconds. I mean, uh, Emily scored her ticket at 2020 at Waterpalooza for the games by winning by four tenths of a second. Mm. Maybe, and again, the, the credit goes to the athletes, but maybe that visualization the night before impacted it by four tenths of a second. I, I mean, I can't tell you, I can't make it tangible, but all I can tell you is that all of these little things compound and add up and make the world of a difference. That's the funny thing about mindset, isn't it? Like weightlifting coaches, it's like, I can put five, five pounds on your snatch within yeah. X weeks um, or nutrition. It's like, we can get you to this body composition within this time. Like we can take your Fran time down. We can take your Murph time down. We can do all these very quantifiable things. But when it mm -hmm. comes to mindset, we are so disconnected as a culture from our mental states that yeah. we want proof. And that's not the way our mental state works. We totally. kind of, it's completely nebulous it's like kind of everything and nothing at the same time yeah especially when i say things like the mind doesn't know the difference between reality and what we tell it 
mm-hmm. right? So and when we're looking for proof, sometimes we need something that's tangible. And that's what's challenging about mindset. That's why when you talk about journaling, I mean, that's something that becomes tangible. Like you're, you're writing yeah. things down. Sometimes you can see that transition. You can see how things start to evolve and change. You know, mm-hmm. that's, uh, yeah, I just, I, it's funny. It's so cool having this conversation with you because you get it. Like, this is what we do, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's refreshing and it makes me happy that there's more people out there like us teaching stuff like this because uh, yes, of course, this is my belief. This is your belief. But when you look at the, the vast majority of people that have trained their mind or worked on their mindset, the results have been big. Yeah. Again, even though I can't measure it as in this is you're going to get five pounds on your snatch. But if you talk to any single one of those athletes, a lot of times they'll reference their mindset. Yeah. And what you don't realize as well is when you're speaking to an athlete who hasn't done kind of official mindset work they've grown up in an environment where they've had that mindset lesson given to them as their normalcy, or they've had a coach who's often that, or they've had the kind of experiences through reading or through observing something. And they've like, those are the kind of athletes that we didn't really, that didn't offer a good perspective on mindset. Cause it was like, it seemed like you either have or you don't, but mm-hmm. we just, they simply just don't know why they're successful. And they right. think it's down to like just this grit out and kind of because I'm sure. betting everyone this the talent myth again, but yep. they've had the environment that produces that. And that's not prohibitive to someone else because we're now in a situation where you can listen to conversations like we're having, you can read books, you can find other coaches where that is an option to you. Like you have that that's available right. to you and you can train your own mindset. Now it's a trainable totally. thing, just like your physical yeah. state. Completely agree. Yeah. Completely agree. What, uh, yeah, we'll go through this. What books have you gifted to other people? Oh man, so that that whole relentless thing has been, oh man, it's it's so my book, man. So mm-hmm. Tim Grover, relentless, like I adore this book, man. Um, that's again just the 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 relentless work ethic, that mindset, the proof. People like Kobe, people like mm-hmm. MJ, like it it just shows like you can stop at nothing. So that's the physical side of things. Same thing with like David Goggins can't hurt me. Like that's like next level. Like I'm not gonna say madness, but like just execution. Okay. Now when you actually talk about mindset, there's a book um, like there's a book that's called talent code that mm-hmm. I love, but there's another great book. It's called, it's by Peter Bregman. It's called four seconds. And this book is like, uh, now you think about <laughs> Imagine having the ability to have four seconds before you respond in any capacity. So let's say you're in a heated argument, like me and my ex-girlfriend, and I just blah, and I just blurt something out. If I would have taken four seconds, I probably wouldn't have blurted that thing out. So having that little blip before you take action is uh, super beneficial as well. I, I like that. Um, man, yeah, there's there's so many books. Um God, like flow. I mean, yeah, I think think the list can go on and on and on. But the thing with books is it's so subjective to what you're wanting to get out of a book. Yeah. Okay. Like I can recommend all these books, but if you're not looking for that type of thing, you're going to think this book's terrible. So Mm -hmm. I'd say with anybody looking for a book, find out what, what it is that you want to achieve out of a book and then get a book in that realm and actually take notes, take things out of it and then apply it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even with these, even with these podcasts, like 
like, Hey, maybe the idea of journaling sounds really great. And it's something you've always wanted to do, but if you don't actually do it, you're not going to get the benefit. Like Mm -hmm. if you're listening to this, then take something out of it and apply it. You know, one, one thing that I love to do is when people have these conscious thoughts and let's say they're thinking something and right now they feel super good. Like, Hey, this is a great conversation. I enjoy listening to this. Then take a day or two, write down some conscious thoughts and how you feel, you know, or maybe even challenge it further. What are the benefits of me actually going to do this? What do you think they're going to happen? Because maybe it is something that's catastrophic, right? Maybe it is something that you're, you could be missing. Maybe it's not, maybe this isn't the conversation for you. But find one that is, but then do something exactly. with it. That's that's the thing. Like, especially with all the material that we have today, like you just said, with all the books, uh, you know, all the podcasts, all the videos on YouTube. Man, if we're just absorbing and absorbing and not actually applying it, sure, maybe it'll still help us, but we're not going to ever get the full full benefit out of it. Exactly. I'll send right. my yeah. dad up. Yeah. My dad will get choked. I'll send him after you guys, <laughs> you guys don't do anything with it. <laughs> um, what are your, actually, before we get to that, I think the best piece of advice I've ever been given about reading or ever heard about reading is read what you love and do you love to read. Like sometimes we're given these kind of, these like the books you should read and for you relentless was an absolute game changer but for someone mm-hmm. else it might not be um exactly because they're point. in a different you have a different perspective you filter it through a different lens so you're not going to see the same yep. book you're not going to see the same lesson so but if you start where you love and then branch out from that you totally. you, you grow with it what yeah. things do you do on a regular basis for your own mental health and mindset yeah so coaching coaches having coaches is still so important for me. Um, so I would say before every big event, before an open, before the games, before anything that I need to do, that's really big. I'll go back and take my own self-awareness notes. So I'll go back and do a six week program for myself. Again, I'm human. Okay. So I can openly admit there is times where I have not done that. And then there's times that I have. The one thing I can say is, is that when I do it versus not doing it, I feel different. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I go to my commitments and say, Hey, if I'm committed to be the best coach that I can possibly be, I better go damn well do this. Sometimes I need a coach to keep me accountable. Okay. And that's me being completely Mm -hmm. transparent. Um, so yeah, having a coach accountability is a big thing. My own program, my own self-awareness, a big thing. And sometimes I like to branch out, like I'll live vicariously through some of my athletes and I ask them what they're doing these days. You know, what, what are you guys up to? Like, what are you learning? What are you sharing your best practices? And I love learning. So maybe their other coaches taught them something and I want to try it. Like to me, it's like being a sponge is, is never going to be detrimental as long as we control what we're taking in. Yeah. You know, it's it's like the back to the book thing. If, If you don't want to read a subject like this and you know, this is detrimental, don't read it. You know, if you want to read something that you know is going to be beneficial that you're looking for, read it. But you gotta try it. Yeah, it's about controlling that environment. Like one of the few, th- one of the differences between us and every an- other animal is that we can control the environment that we put ourselves in, and exactly. that is such an evolutionary advantage and such an advantage to the athlete as well. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why you get so many kind of um like ben bergeron did it for a bit with, with his culture of like athletes that he worked with um it seems like underdogs and justin kotler are doing it at the moment like building this kind of community like there's other people doing it and like you get that community yeah. and if it's a good culture um and knife is doing it as well like with uh, up that neck of the woods uh actually not far from you in washington state mm-hmm. um and like that kind of 
that community and environment can completely shape who you are and you're going to pick things up without even realizing it through that kind of um, implicit world and it's such an advantage and you can control that through even if you don't have those environments available to you you've got books available to you you've got podcasts available to you if you're listening to this podcast you obviously have great taste in podcasts so you're on the right path um <laughs> and and yeah you've got like you've got all this available to you so it's completely yeah it's there ready to go so you do those things through personal mindset um what are common misconceptions about mindset i think i don't know maybe Maybe probably that people don't think that they need it or it's still a little bit foreign to them, mm. even though it's not because it's not at all foreign because everything starts and ends with their own damn minds. But mm-hmm. again, that having a mindset coach might be foreign. It's so funny. Like when I ask people, like, how many hours have you spent in the gym? They're like, oh, thousands. How many hours have you spent working on your yeah. mind? Yeah. <laughs> but ask them what's the most important factor in your in your performance. And most of them will say their mind and their thoughts. Yeah, 100%. It's like they're shooting themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, got it. So exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I would definitely say that the unknown and most of them maybe don't think that they need it. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. And then what is mindset? I think that's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, again, this it's a great question and it's it's not that it's a loaded question. For me, it's what, the mindset that I want to create is my choice. So it's a, it's a way of living. It's a state. It's a way of life. That's for me, but for somebody else, it might not, it might be something completely different to me. It's super subjective. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So finally, where can people find out more about you? Where can they follow you? That kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Instagram, uh, it's at Van city, Brett websites, Van city, Brett, everything's Van city, Brett. Perfect. Easy. uh, Nice and easy. Yeah, Nice nice and easy. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete Podcast and what an episode with Brett Pony. Stoked with the way it came out, stoked with the conversation that we have. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes like the future ones we have planned with some games athletes, their coaches, um, psychologists, and next week's guest, um, Nessa Carey, who will explain how epigenetics can affect our mindset. It's a crazy um, phenomenon and something that we should definitely be aware of. So make sure you head to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe right now. And if you're a coach, don't forget to check out our coaches series, which will be also released through the same podcast link. So double reasons to subscribe. I will see you next week for another episode of the Limitless Athlete Podcast.